0: Welcome to Pardes Daily, where you get your daily dose of Torah with Pardes faculty. For the next two weeks, Pardes is bringing Purim to you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is Zvi Hirshfield uh, from the Pardes Institute, and we are in our second installment of Thoughts and Thinkers on Purim, and today we are going to uh, look at an article or really a shiur, a talk delivered by Rav Soloveitchik uh, on the, what he called the duality of Purim. And as is Rav Soloveitchik's want, he usually begins with some kind of halachic or Talmudic text, which for him is going to surface one of his favorite uh, ideas, and that's dualities or paradoxes or contradictions uh, to come to what he calls a metaphysic, of Purim. So he begins with the Gemara in Tractate Megillah that discusses the obligation to read the Megillah at night. The Mishnah only seems to mention reading Megillah during the day. Uh, already in the early Amoraic period, there's a custom to read it at night as well. And he noted that the Gemara quoted two Amoraim, Rabbi Shua ben Levi, and the other uh, is Rabbi Chelbo, uh, and they each bring a proof text to why you read Megillah at night. Whereas well, noted the two proof texts are as different, if you pardon the pun, as night and day. Uh, Rabbi Shubb and Levi quotes the verse from Psalms, oh my God, I call uh, by day, but you answer not. And at night, there is no ceasing for me. And uh, Rabbi Helbo quotes a much more happy verse from Psalms, where uh, his verse in from Psalms 30 is, So that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto you forever. So here, let me read to you a bit of what the Rav, Rav Salvechik wrote. We have two identical rulings, but two contradictory reasons. Rishub and Levi and Ula formulated the same law, but quoted two mutually exclusive verses like to quote a verse from Psalm 22, the famous prayer of an individual in distress, forsaken and abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This psalm reflects the cry of total despair, the shriek of a frightened, lonely child who has suddenly discovered that his or her mother is gone. According to our tradition, Esther recited this psalm on her way to the inner court of Ahasuerus. In a word, it is the psalm of a person who has lost almost all hope and out of the depths of despair petitions the Almighty. From this psalm, Rabbi Shuban Levy inferred that one must read the Megillah at night as well as the daytime, for the prayer of the lonely forsaken person is without pause or stop. He cannot help himself but pray. In other words, the reading of the Megillah was equated by Rabbi Shuban Levy with the offering of a prayer to the Almighty from the straits of distress, addressing a petition to him from the depths of agony and misery. Rabbi introduced a verse from the jubilant psalm of dedication. The psalm of thanksgiving of a sick individual miraculously cured overflows with gratitude. He does not just thank the Almighty, he sings to him an incessant hymn of praise day and night. Therefore, Ula concluded one must recite the Megillah in the evening and also in the morning. In other words, Ula identified the reading of the Megillah with the offering of praise and thanks to the Almighty. The Megillah, according to Ula, is a great song of gratitude for it is good to sing praise to the Lord. So here you have it, Rassal points out, the Megillah is both. The Megillah is a story of human sorrow and misery and the cry of the lonely person to God in the depths of their, their uncertain fate. And, and they also the Megillah is also what Ula says it is. It is a jubilant song of thanksgiving and praise, a person redeemed, a person cured. Rasalvach points out, well, then which one is correct? And of course, uh in his uh, standard approach, will say both of them. And in fact, he points out Purim is a holiday that embodies both of these postures. It is a holiday of crying out to God in profound distress in the midst of worry and misery and uncertainty of, of human beings not in control of their own fate or destiny. It is also the holiday of, of individuals and a nation redeemed and saved uh, through divine help. And he points out, because we literally can't feel both of these things at the same time, that is why Purim, according to Rav is really a combination of the fast of Esther and the holiday of Purim, the fast of Esther, which is a fast day, we don't eat and drink, we add penitential prayers, we say avinu malkenu, we have the Torah reading for fast days, is part and parcel of our celebration of Purim, or our observance of Purim. Uh, And that is the day where we express this cry of uncertainty, of great need, of profound fear. That is the fast day where we express those feelings. And then on Purim itself, we engage the celebration and the thanksgiving and the joyfulness of a people who have been redeemed. So both of those are part of our experience. Both of those need to be maintained, because as Rasaldechik would point out, both of those emotions, those states of being, the person in, in misery and difficulty, alone and anxious and fearful, and the person feeling the joy of being saved in gratitude, they both emerge from the human reality of our vulnerability. The fact that we are vulnerable and that we worry about the future and we are anxious and we feel ourselves subject to forces beyond our control, which also gives us great anxiety, is precisely that same place that also can give rise to gratitude. It is precisely our vulnerability, the deep awareness and fear that comes with our vulnerability, that ultimately can give rise to our sense of gratitude. It is because we are not in control of our fate that we can feel grateful to God for saving us. Uh, and Rostovalevich goes on to say, this is the dialectic of the human condition. The answer is to be found in the human situation. Man is a frightened being, not frightened psychologically, but existentially. Human beings are full of anxiety, and this is also a result of our greatness. Our ability to live in the future is also what gives us our tremendous sense of vulnerability towards the future. Now, Ralph Salvechik goes on in this piece to say that our human vulnerability which Purim is an expression of, also has profound moral implications as well. He says that the awareness of our vulnerability, which puts us in this this constant shared uh, human experience of both fear and anxiety followed by gratitude, that this vulnerability has deep moral implications. Number one, humility. When we recognize that we are vulnerable, We also have to accept that that should lead us to a sense of real humility. We do not have total control. And even though he writes here, human beings were often inclined towards arrogance. We have constant reminders of our humility that our pride and arrogance need to be replaced with our awareness of our vulnerability, our awareness of how we are not really in control. And now speaking to you now in a time of pandemic, how appropriate is our profound awareness of our vulnerability and how we are not truly in control and that this vulnerability should really instill us with a profound sense of our humility. And he goes on to add that this humility should then certainly lead us on a pathway towards compassion. He he points out in this article that the great stories of our redemption are almost always preceded with descriptions of our suffering and difficulty, right? The story of our redemption from Egypt is built upon a story of slavery and suffering and difficulty and anguish and sadness. And the story of rebuilding the second temple, the return after the first exile, is uh, set up for us first with the story of Purim and the story of near disaster and reminder of our limits and our humility. And he says that is critical because it is an awareness of difficulty and pain and suffering and fear that can yield compassion. When we know suffering, that should lead us to be ever more sensitive to the suffering of others. The difficulties that we face are supposed to educate us that in times when we do have success and power to remind us of the compassion we have to feel for the individuals or groups in our lives that are suffering and are not enjoying the good fortune that we are enjoying. Suffering has to come before redemption, so redemption does not lead towards arrogance and a lack of compassion, which is why Tanit Esther, the fast of Esther, comes first And only then the joyous celebration of Purim. And the celebration of Purim for Salvechik is not a celebration of our power. It is precisely the opposite. It is the profound gratitude one can feel only once they have truly accepted how vulnerable and really how weak and not powerful we really are. Once we understand our limits and embrace our humility we are then prepared to experience the gratitude towards God for saving us and taking care of us. And I think that that's true for us in our individual lives as well. The more we lean in to our awareness, our humility, and our awareness of our limitations, the more room there is to be grateful, not only to God, but to the other people in our lives, because we are so profoundly aware of how much we need them. So Purim on this level is an embrace of the human experience of human beings as limited, vulnerable creatures who are also endowed with a tremendous capacity for gratitude. Thank you to our Pardes faculty and a big thanks to you, our learners. Make sure to check back in every day to stay on track with your learning and visit www pardace.org.il for more information about other ways to learn with Pardace.